You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 121. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this two-part Valentine's Day special. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. To try out Squarespace for free, go to squarespace.com backslash lively and enter the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of the show, I'll be speaking with Krista Butler of kristabutler.com about her experience using Squarespace. Now let's move into today's show. So excited to bring you a two-part episode for Valentine's Day week. This is wonderful because no matter what your relationship status is, and there goes Ellie jumping around the house, (laughs) you can totally apply what we're talking about in today's episode in your own life. We're going to be speaking with Elisa Vitti of flowliving.com. Elisa Vitti is the hormone specialist who came on the show late summer of last year and has now had an episode that has been downloaded over 50,000 times. In the episode, if you're interested, she discusses how we can optimize our hormones so that we can live fuller, richer lives as females. You can listen over at jesslively.com slash Elisa Vitti. In today's episode, however, and Thursdays as well, we're doing a deep dive into the exploration of pleasure. This is a fascinating subject I've been talking a lot about here on the show with the Life with Intention online members and more. I can't wait to share more about this. I don't want to give too much away, so we're just going to jump right in. Let's go to the show. Elisa, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Oh, I am so excited to be back with you, Jess. I love talking to you. So this is fun. I know. I feel like you're kind of like our resident Dr. Oz, if you will, on the Oprah show. <laughs> <laughs> For the ovaries, yes. You know, I'm happy to to come and talk about all things lady lady related with you anytime. So because we've already shared your background personally in your last episode let's just quickly go over what your main philosophy and point is for new listeners who have not listened to that episode yet, but are going to go listen to it after this one. I think it's maybe two parts. The first part is that the mythology around the fact that you're supposed to deal with symptoms and suffer with your cycle and struggle with your fertility and struggle with your sex drive, that's all false advertising. The science tells us exactly how to fix that naturally with food. And so there's this code that your body has, and I am really passionate about helping decode that for you and giving you the keys. It's almost like the Wizard of Oz. I'm Glenda, the good witch of your ovaries, and I remind you at the end that you could always get back home, right? It was always in you to do that. I'm happy to show you the way of how to get there, how to really have a body that you love and have your body be a happy place and have your period be like not a thing, not an issue, right? You don't have to be on medication. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to have symptoms. That's sort of a big piece of the philosophy. The second component to that is as you clear up symptoms, that's sort of like the foundational piece, but what the big aha for me that I wasn't looking for when I was diving into the science of endocrinology and functional medicine which is what I practice, what was a huge unexpected discovery was that when these things are working properly in our body, when this hormonal system is working properly, we have access 
to a relationship with ourselves and our brain chemistry and our productivity and our creativity and our sexuality that is just so powerful and it's so like worth everything to get that <laughs> because you know we're all here to live our best life our most passionate life our most successful life and to really make the connection that your unique female body and biochemistry and biology is the divining rod for you to have those things come into your life was just an amazing breakthrough recognition for me. So as passionate as I am about helping you fix your period, get pregnant and, you know, get your sex drive back and have better orgasms, I am really passionate about women recognizing just how powerful they are through this cycle synced relationship with their mind and body. As you guys know from the last episode when you were on the show, and the maybe three people here listening that don't already know, my personal background with all of this hormone stuff was that I have PCOS. I've never had a normal period off of the birth control pill, which I went on when I was 18 because I had such terrible cystic acne that the doctors were going to put me on Accutane to deal with the acne. But the birth control itself, which is typically a PCOS medication or prescription you get from traditional medicine solve the hormone problem that was causing the acne in the first place. Fast forward, I went off it in college. Again, the acne came back. When I went back on the pill, the acne went away until I met you last fall. And you told me that it doesn't have to be that way, that what the doctors had said is just as far as like, just deal with it. And this is just part of your luck. And you'll just take medication to have babies. Hopefully in the future, one day you were saying this doesn't need to be that way. I have been following your protocol, and it has started with just simply removing gluten and dairy from my diet, and that was about three or four months ago now, and I'm happy to say that that acne was probably the biggest limitation and fear that I had going off of the birth control pill because that was the most obvious problem. Like, you know, not getting your period is just kind of less inconvenient in the world than people seeing this really big craters on your face, on your chin, and that you're just spackling on makeup to try to make it go away. That was like a very visible sign that something was wrong and it was not something I liked dealing with. So I was very nervous going off the pill, having that been my background every time I hadn't been on the pill since I was a teenager. And I'm grateful to say that because I did the gluten dairy free thing for three months before going off the pill, which you advised to help myself get regulated in a good way beforehand, I am happy to say it has not come back. And I'm now seven weeks into being off the pill. The period is not yet resurfaced, but I have not yet woven in the cycle syncing, which you say is the real key to making the period come back. Yeah. I mean, first of all, let's just break that down for everyone because I think for women with PCOS, the misinformation that you're getting, right? You even highlighted it as you were talking about sort of like what you thought the pill was doing. You thought that the pill was fixing the hormonal imbalances that you had as a result of your PCOS. The truth of the matter is the pill doesn't fix the hormonal imbalances. It just masks the symptoms. It puts you in a suspended state of pseudo-pregnancy. So it actually isn't restoring any of the hormones that you actually need to have a cycle even though you have bleeding while you're taking the pill, it's not a menstrual cycle. It's just breakthrough bleeding when you stop taking the hormones. So that week that you're taking the pill where you're having your quote-unquote period, those are sugar pills, and you're just having breakthrough bleeding 
but it's not really a period. So it's really important that not only that more women know that, but that it's that they recognize it's not a real treatment because it changes the way you think about how you want to proceed around getting better. And then the second thing that you said was like that you had this huge fear about the acne coming back because you've had that experience before. And one of the reasons why I wanted you to start the flow protocol before you went off the pill was to give your body some time to heal. So when you were taking out gluten and dairy and sugar and, you know, you were going through the first three steps of the protocol, stabilizing your blood sugar, dealing with some of the stress in your life from a food standpoint and how that was affecting your cortisol levels, dealing with, you know, your digestive system and elimination systems, making sure you had the ability to break down hormonal byproducts on a day-to-day basis so that your skin didn't have to do it for you, which is really what acne is. And so you invested some time into doing that foundation work. And then when you went off the pill, as you have seen for your own self, it's no big deal. (laughs) Yeah, it's shocking. I was so nervous. I mean, it's the most important thing for women who have skin issues, whether you have PCOS or not, if you've been using the pill to keep those at bay. And Jess, you were even telling me that this last time that you were on the pill, your skin wasn't really clear. Is that true? Yes. So One of the saving graces and actually one of the most powerful pieces of going gluten dairy free, because that was not something I was excited to sign up for. That was probably the biggest hesitation. And I still get people emailing me now asking because they're scared about it, too. Is it possible? And all those sorts of things. You had said because I was moving not to stress myself out further by changing dramatically what I was eating while I moved. So I used that to its fullest. And I went crazy on the cheesetarian scale and went really hardcore into cheese and gluten knowing I was going to go off it for an undetermined, possibly forever amount of time. Right. So I was eating it a lot. And what was fascinating is you could have asked me before I overdid it, whether I felt I was negatively affected by either of those things. And I would have told you no. But then when I was overdoing it, I felt so flat and lifeless and gray is the way I would describe it by eating all of that stuff and actually irritated emotionally. And one of the things that I have an advisor I see, and I was sharing this process with her in a session, and she was saying, Jess, I'm wondering when you go off of the gluten, which can be an irritant to your system, if you'll feel less emotionally irritated by things in your life. And that actually proved to be pretty true. I think my emotional well-being is way more buoyant on a consistent basis. Someone was telling me, I think it might have been a listener or a reader, like someone that sent an email, said that in Australia, they say, if you're not feeling well here, they'll ask you, are you stressed out? What are you doing? Are you working too much? And in Australia, apparently, people ask, what are you eating? And like maybe what you're eating is causing this emotional. Well, and we know for the research that's coming out around the microbiome is just remarkable. You know, we know for a fact that depending on what you're eating, it's either positively or negatively affecting the bacteria in your gut that's responsible for making the mood stabilizing neurotransmitters of serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine that govern how happy you are or how negative you are, how irritable you are. And not to mention, keep your hormones balanced and all these other things. So yeah, I mean, one of the key reasons why, you know, one of the early steps in the protocol is really eliminating these known endocrine disruptors is so that your body has a chance to show you what it can do when you put the right inputs in, that it's designed to keep you healthy and balanced. And and what a great experiment that you did, right? (laughs) You're the other end of the spectrum. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, this is really what it's all about, Jess. It's like there's no perfect thing. It's really get to know your body. And what did you learn? You learned that even on the pill, which was supposed to be, quote unquote, the magical thing, keeping your skin clear, that in fact it wasn't. It's really what you're eating that's determining how well your body's going to perform. I had pimples building upon themselves over and over again. They would not go away right before I stopped doing the dairy. Not eating gluten, I feel personally, I don't know if this is true, but I kind of attribute not being bloated or tired after I eat and having sustained energy from the gluten side of things and maybe the emotional well-being. But the dairy, I totally attribute the skin to the dairy. Absolutely. I mean, I'm so thrilled for you on so many accounts. I mean, one, you've really dismantled and unhooked a big belief that you had that there's no way for you to be normal, quote unquote, without synthetic hormones. And so now you see that your body is capable of healing and being well and, and getting itself balanced and you've taken that big step. And that's huge. And I think the, the other thing is that you've, you know, as a woman with PCOS myself, but for you to have made that leap that to really decide to trust your body again. Because I think, you know, one of the things I personally experienced when I found out I had PCOS and leading up to it, it was just like a oh, it's like a big breakdown. It's like a big dysfunctional relationship that you have with your body. It's like, God, why isn't this working? It seems to be working for everybody else. This is so unfair. And then you just kind of don't want to deal with her, your body, and you have like this lack of trust for her and you just like don't want to be anywhere near her. I think this process of seeing what your body can do for you if you just give it a few little things is a beautiful beginning of a new relationship built on trust and respect and compassion. And that's just going to open up everything for you in every relationship in your life because everything starts from the relationship we have with ourselves. So I just think, you know, not only are you giving, you know, visibility into a subject that I don't think is talked about enough around women who have PCOS and skin issues and, you know, being able to be pill-free and have clear skin. But I think it's just really a whole conversation about, you know, what kind of relationship do you want to have with your body? One that's like, see you later, or one that's like, all right, let's do this together. And I love that you're beginning that journey. And thank you so much for all of your help along the way. So for people that are listening, I've also been working with Elisa behind the scenes throughout this process to kind of keep me on track. And one of the subjects that came up in one of our recent calls is what we're going to talk about today. This is Valentine's Day special. I debated whether to focus on Valentine's Day as someone who's single now or focus on an episode that might be appropriate for people that are in partnerships. And then our conversation, Elisa, kind of made it super clear what I should focus on, which is for both especially women, but I think this probably applies to men too, to talk about pleasure. Now, this came up in a subject about sexuality at first, so I'd love to focus on your conversation and perspective on sexuality as women historically. As we've learned from our episode about transgender, obviously sexuality is an evolving conversation, but up until this point, through the decades, if you will, you say that there's kind of two ways that sexuality for women has been presented. What is that? First of all, hail to the V. I am so excited that we're having this conversation. <laughs> and by the way, V meaning vagina. Okay. So I think it's so, so great that we're talking about this. I am always honored to talk about how do we build this relationship with pleasure because I know I was given zero modeling about how to do this as a woman from my own mother, from women in my life. Like I, I don't think any of us have seen this in action. So I think 
that this is just a really important and potentially revolutionary conversation in a personal way, like that you could really transform your whole life, your whole way of being by thinking about this differently. Okay, so here's the thing that came to me as I was researching this and also investigating this in my own life and also investigating this with clients. You know, I've been working with women just for the past 15 years on the topics of hormones and feminine energy and sexuality. And so I have been observing and investigating this for a long, long time. And I have some things, I think some nuggets that are really were big ahas for me that I want to share. And this first one is such a key one that just blew me away. And the crux of it is that it's sort of sad news at first, at first, <laughs> which is, you know, that none of us actually have truly an, an opportunity to have an authentic sexual evolution. And here's why. First and foremost, when, you know, Gloria Steinem, I said this in my TED talk, Gloria Steinem made a, a statement a long time ago saying that, you know, one of the key differences between men and women is that little boys are taught to use their bodies as tools to master their environment, while little girls are taught to view their bodies as dangerous liabilities. And that's sort of where it begins, right? So then, so we're already disconnected from the beginning that like, I don't know what's going on with this. Like, you know, we don't give it names. We don't, we we stay, we shy away from it. And then puberty hits. (laughs) you know, out of left field because there's no talk prior to it about what your body is all about. It's just like you go all your life as a girl and then boom, you're a woman physically and there's just no context. And so it's very traumatic. And then women tend to react to this in the context of, of the environment that we're in, which is still a little bit more patriarchal in nature where we basically react in one of two ways. First, we look at the environment, which is, all right, you know, men are running the show, quote unquote. Now, of course, these are big, gross generalizations. I, of course, know that women are running things more and more. We have a woman running for president. It's like a great time to be a woman. But I'm talking about sort of this Jungian collective unconscious level of how you're interpreting things in the ether around you. And so we look at the fact that it's not a woman's world yet. We say, okay, well, how can I survive in this environment now that my body is changed? And we react in one of two ways. And the first is we either choose the path of what we'll call hypersexualization. And so think back to junior high school. I had girlfriends in both of these scenarios, right? I had girlfriends who chose hypersexualization, and I have I had girlfriends who were in the other category. And I'll I'll describe that other category in a minute. But um, this hypersexualization, if you think back to these girls, they were, um, you know, the ones that were like buying the push-up bras, wearing the super tight shirts, um, you know, lipstick and mascara, heavy eyeliner. Like, you know, again, gross generalizations, trying to make a point about this is the flavor of that path, okay? And getting more interested in doing stuff with boys at an earlier age, et cetera, et cetera, right? That's that path number one to how do we encounter, what do we do with our bodies when they've changed and become more sexual in nature? And then the second path, which is the path that I took, (laughs) and, and Jess, when we were talking, this is the path that you took as well, 
which is the path of, you know, let's call it disembodiment and focusing on achievement. So the first path is more categorized by like really exploiting the body to get attention. And the second path is exploiting the mind to get attention. But it's always about getting attention and positive, like, am I okay from authority figures? And again, from this Jungian sort of place, the authority figures in our unconscious mind happen to be more in the sort of male archetype. And, you know, it's a little depressing when we think of it that way. And, and trust me, when I first thought of it this way, I was like, no, I don't want this to be the case. <laughs> you know, this is not, this can't be it. I'm smarter than that. I don't, I, you know, no. But the patterns are there, and I think you can see it in the media. I think you can see it in advertising. I think you can see it more so these days with you know what's happening in the music industry. It's just everywhere when you start to take a look at it. So it's just a powerful thing to be thinking about because if your orientation to your sexual self-expression, I'm not talking about gender identity, I'm not talking about sex drive. I'm just talking about the way you relate to yourself as a sexual creature. If that's at its core on either of these paths, by the way, if that's at its core about pleasing someone else, how are you ever going to enjoy yourself? Boom. (laughs) Drop that knowledge, Bob. (laughs) I don't even know what to say, Elisa. Answer the question. (laughs) So that was the big question I was left with, Jess. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> now what? You know, so it's like, okay, great. I know. Now I know that this is a problem. But now, oh, shit, what's the next step? So, you know, for me, that began this investigation into feminine energy and masculine energy archetypes, which at a high level, masculine energy is about task list, doing, producing, and feminine energy is about creating holding space, collaborations, just two different archetypes. Both men and women engage masculine and feminine energy. So I was looking at that. And then I was looking at female sexual anatomy, the clitoris, the whole situation, the way our sex response is. I was looking at some of the science and I was, I was at least, you know, and I'm a systems thinker. So I was looking at these two systems and I was like, oh, there's a third way that's hidden, but every woman can choose this path and at any time. So like, you know, I went down the achievement path. I had so many girlfriends in high school that went down the hypersexualization path. I know so many women who've done either or. It doesn't matter which one you've picked. They're they're equally bad. It's probably a continuum. It's not like you're a binary choice here, check one box or another. It's probably shades of either for some people too. I mean, everything is on a spectrum and some of us do feel like we're exclusively one or the other, but yes, most of us fall somewhere in the middle and sometimes it's even time of life, you know, whereas I might have felt that way more on the achievement side in my academic career when I first moved to the city. I think I experimented even more with the hypersexualization part of my just experimenting with that kind of energy. What does that feel like to, to go to an event in, you know, stiletto, platform stiletto, like that kind of thing, you know? And so, you know, it's just interesting. I think we go and we try out these different personas to see, does this feel like me? Is this the way that I want to feel as a woman? Right. And I think for the most part, when we dabble in either way, it doesn't really feel authentic. doesn't really feel true in integrity with who you are. And that's because it's not the third way. So should we just talk about what the third way is and the way out? It's the way out. (laughs) It's the way out. It's the way back in. 
to yourself and it's the way to heal this collective conditioning that we've received and I'm not even going to get into why this is like part of the conditioning because that's a whole other conversation, but (laughs) you know, so, all right. So here's the third way. And you know, when I was looking at the female sexual anatomy, I mean, one of the things I'm happy to just do a little quick PSA about public service announcement for Valentine's day. Did you know, Jess, that you have a clitoris that is the only massive tissue in the human body in either sex that is exclusively designed for one thing, which is pleasure. Yes, I did know that. It's also more intense orgasms than men. Yes, it's 8,000 nerve endings in the clitoris, which is double, and sometimes in depending on the man, triple the nerve endings in the penis. The penis is a multifaceted tool, kind of like, you know those clicker pens that you could like click red, ink, and <laughs> that's the penis. It's great. You know, it's such an ingenious design. But, you know, the clitoris is not that. It's just one thing designed for pleasure. And I thought, my goodness, that is so interesting. And how do we have that pleasure happen, right? It's not automatic like an erection, right? Or even nocturnal emission. That's like an automatic part of the body's response in a man. It doesn't, they can just have that happen. For us to have the pleasurable sensations, we have to be in receiving mode for that. And I thought that's interesting. And then I was looking at feminine energy and how that kind of all works. And, you know, it's all about really holding space and and having something, um, you know, creating something out of the fertile void, bringing ideas out of nothing into life, that sort of manifestation energy. And I thought, like, it's so interesting. The third way is not about pleasing anybody else. It's about pleasing ourselves. And so for me, the path of healing and of really building my own sexual self-expression identity that's in integrity with just me has been through this practice of taking the third path of self-pleasure in all forms. Not, I'm not talking about you know, masturbation exclusively. That is not what I mean by self-pleasure. I mean self-pleasure is a practice of prioritizing things that feel good in every possible scenario, whether I'm writing an email to someone how can I enjoy that process more? What is it going to take for me to ha- be turned on by writing that email? To the way that I adorn my body throughout the day, to some of the practical, physical practices of you know, self-pleasuring. And I know I've given you some of that homework too. We'll get there. <laughs> and it's an orientation to the world, right? Instead of being oriented around being visually pleasing to men and, and making sure that they're like, you know, really receptive to being flirting with us and that kind of thing, or being so focused on like, you know, look at me and all the things I'm doing and, and, you know, get, getting that approval instead of being focused on that. It's how can I give it to myself and give myself as many experiences of pleasure that delight all five of my senses on a daily basis. It's powerful. You mentioned embodiment of pleasure in our call. Would you mind going into what that is? Because you just kind of touched on it with the five senses. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, as I'm talking, I I can only imagine that some of you listening are like, well, wait, how do I do that? (laughs) Besides masturbating, how do I do that? Yeah. Do I get a new vibrator? (laughs) No, no new vibrators. In fact, I have a whole talk about vibrators and why that's not always the best practice. Um, (laughs) But this is about bringing pleasure into an embodied situation. So you have five senses, right? What you look at, what you taste, touch, smell, hearing, all of those things bring you so much physical stimulation. And that stimulation can be pleasurable, it can be painful, right? So 
you're the one that gets to choose, you know, if it's going to be pleasurable or not. And so why wouldn't you make the choice to give yourself more pleasurable opportunities at every moment? So that could be as something as simple as choosing meals that just are just delicious, you know, or making sure you get that really good dark chocolate for yourself that you love and having it at home at all times. Like I don't, it's a random day out of the year where I run out of the dark chocolate that I like in my house. Like I have to have that at all times. Even if I don't eat it every day, I like, it gives me so much pleasure opening my little goodie drawer, which I keep, you know, like dried figs and dates and this dark chocolate. And like, I just, I, I love knowing that I have that goodie drawer. It just it makes me go like, mm, you know, like I just love knowing that it's there. That brings me a little turn on, like a little jolt, you know, and it puts me in my body. Sometimes for me, sitting down and having a cup of tea is so pleasurable, especially now that I'm a new mom. It's like, oh my God, I have five minutes to myself to drink hot liquid. Let me do that. And like, I'm going to really enjoy that. (laughs) That's one I have been on this pursuit of pleasure lately because of our conversation as well. And the tea, but specifically holding the warm cup of tea, holding it, the act of feeling the warmth from the cup in my hands, especially in Michigan winter right now, is crazy pleasurable on a level that I never knew before, that I never paid that much attention to really get pleasure from that experience. But as I've been seeking it and looking for it in my life, that's been one of the most unusual and satisfying areas. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, you know, the more you start to experiment with this, the more things are going to surprise you that like, oh yeah, that really turns me on and it has nothing to do with sex, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I wouldn't say that I'm turned on by holding it in the sexual way at all. No, not in a sexual way, in the embodied way, right? In the five senses, like the holding it, the warmth, the the feeling of it in your hands. There's a physical turn on of the nerve endings in your hand. Sometimes I like to hold it to my chest and just feel that warmth on my breastplate. You know, like I just love the, the feel of it on my skin. I love to breathe in the aroma of my tea. So my olfactory system is being pleasured. You know, we are just we are such sensitive creatures. We have nerve endings all over our skin, not just the 8,000 on our clitoris, that we don't have to worry just about her. We've got this whole magnificent sensory system to delight in every way. So I use turn on in an expanded sense, like what's going to delight me or tickle my senses, so to speak. And I call that turn on. So yeah, tea is a really good one. Sometimes for me, I, I live in the city and I live for getting out for a walk with my daughter in Central Park. It's one of my favorite highlights of the day. I love being in the park. It's beautiful. I love being out in nature in all seasons. You know, I don't go out in the rain, but every other time I go out, (laughs) Um, you know, we're supposed to get some snow this weekend and I got her like a little toddler toboggan and I'm like all excited to go out and like sledding with her, you know, like I just like that's so fun to have that kind of pleasure. Describe your scenario where you're reading and you're like accoutrement that go into you reading the books that you like? Oh my God. I just discovered the Outlander series by accident because I happened to have gotten stars for free for a little while before we got rid of the TV altogether. We no longer have a TV in our home. But I discovered and I, I was like, oh, this is amazing. This should be a book. And someone was like, Elisa, <laughs> where have you been? This is a, a series of books. And so I bought all eight of them. And for those of you who know the Outlander series, it's a total of about 16,000 pages over eight books. It's like, uh, you know, eight to 900 pages a book. I read all of them in two months. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
<laughs> I devoured these books. I've actually reread the first four in the past, I would say, week. I just, I like, I am completely fanatical about this. And in fact, I, and I say this to everyone now that I know because I seriously want to manifest two tickets to the New York City premiere of Outlander. I want to meet Sam Hewn. So anybody who loves me enough to want to hook me up with those tickets, I'm here. <laughs> so anyway. But that is something that brings you tons of pleasure. You can even hear it in your voice as you're describing it. I'm all excited. I talk, I, I give book synopses to my husband. He's like, what happened with Jamie and Claire? What's going on? And I'm like, I get, he, he is so delighted. He's like, you are so cute when you talk about these books. He's like, I love that this is making you so happy. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like a little a teenager about these books. And, you know, I get all, I have my little chaise that I read on in our living room and I have, you know, my tea and I have some sort of like, you know, fig and chocolate combination when I, or like toast and gluten-free toast, obviously, some coconut oil or sun butter, strawberry jelly. Like I really like, it's like a whole experience. You know, I want to like really enjoy myself. <laughs> so I really, I really love it. And I'll put on like my favorite cozy PJs and just really settle in for a couple hundred pages of reading. Of course, now I got to find another series because I have read the books now twice over. And <laughs> we're still in Droughtlander. It's not starting till April. So I have to wait for the, you know, to download the episodes. <laughs> But, you know, yes, that's something I really, really love. And I, I love reading. My library is probably one of my prized possessions. That's something that brings me pleasure. Going to spas where they use organic products brings me unending amounts of pleasure, where I can get a safe, chemical-free, endocrine disruptor-free body care, skin care. It's so rare to be able to find that. Uh, I think it's happening more and more. But when I do find it, it's just like, I'll be there all afternoon. I book all the services. And I just go and have a great time. So I really look for ways on these sort of like little small ways every day um, to, you know, big ways once in a blue moon. You know, right now, uh, since I had my daughter, I decided to work from a home office. And, you know, I believe that one should get up out of her chair at least once an hour so that you don't stagnate and have all the you know negative health effects of sitting too long. So I will sneak out and go give my daughter a hug and a cuddle and laugh with her and tickle her for five minutes. It's such a pleasure for me to do that, right? So I have set up my whole life so that I basically am doing, I'm front loading the things that make me feel really good so that the things that I have to do that sometimes feel like a chore, laundry, I got to tell you, I haven't found a way to make laundry pleasurable, except if I make my husband do it, then I love it. <laughs> and he, um, but I love folding my daughter's laundry. I could fold her little clothes forever. So cute. You know, so like I just, I, the things that I have to get done, you know, I, I'm so juiced up with things that have made me feel good all day long that it's like, it doesn't really drain my energy anymore. And it's a choice because if we don't choose the path of self-pleasure, then we're just always doing things to make other people happy or to put the requests, demands, and needs of other people first. And everything is an obligation. Everything is a drain on our energy. And this has real physical ramifications on our health as women. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to get a chance to go into this with you now because it's a big, big conversation. But the ways in which you are allowing people to take advantage of or, or not having healthy boundaries with your own self and your own pleasure, they really have specific effects on organs in the body. And this is documented from Chinese medicine to energy medicine, where, you know, for example, women who have stifled creativity tend to have cysts or fibroids develop in the uterus. Suppressed anger can have liver and skin effects, as well as, you know, endometriosis. Uh, people who tend to mother other people and not themselves 
you know, also will struggle with the endometriosis issue. If you're really pissed off at your partner, you can have chronic UTIs, <laughs> you know. There's just so many ways in which the path of everything that isn't you putting yourself first around your self-pleasure physically shows up in your unique female biology. And so, you know, you can wait till those things become a big problem, right? And then you're forced to look at these issues or you can start the examination of this whole situation for yourself proactively and choose the path of pleasure because you would have to anyway and choose it sooner and waste less time being cranky. One of the things, actually, I have two points to make on this. One is about attractiveness based on this pleasure principle. But first, I want to touch on self-care. So as you were sharing that, one of the things I've kind of tied together on The Lively Show and just, I think, in 2015 and 14, specifically, self-care became a big topic in the blogosphere. A lot of people were talking about the importance of it. But for me, it always kind of felt like an obligation, like it was something I had to do because otherwise other things would go bad like or go wrong or I wouldn't be able to do other things well. I was doing it or the concept of doing it kind of felt like I was doing it so other things would go well. Pleasure is like I am getting away with something. It has a totally different energy about it and I'm not getting away with something, right? That's not the real case here, but it's like would you rather watch another episode of a show you're super hooked into or do something like eat your vegetables? Like that's how the difference between self-care and pleasure felt for me. And so just by shifting the paradigm, the energy around it shifted. And that's not to say that everyone needs to do that. For example, someone reached out on Instagram and shared that she's the opposite. Pleasure seems like something that's a luxury, but self-care is mandatory. So she's more likely to do it. But I'm more likely to scratch that on the calendar because it's self-care than the pleasure thing where it's like, how can I game this? How can I make this email answering more fun? Maybe I'm going to take the two seconds to light a candle while I'm answering these emails or do it on the sofa instead of doing it at the desk. Or I'm very aware now of tactile feelings of clothing and shoes since our last call. So I'm getting rid of things that don't feel literally great in my skin. And the other interesting thing you shared when it goes to kind of go back, back, back to the man's world we live in, if you will, or whatever the paradigm might be, I have noticed myself, and you kind of said something similar about your husband noticing you, that as far as this third option, getting attention from your mind or getting attention from your body, that by embodying pleasure in this great way in your life, is inherently attractive to other people. And I've actually noticed that when I am really living this and I'm really in the juiced, like I am making sure that I am doing the things that bring me pleasure. Again, we're not even talking about the bedroom. That's like a totally different whole thing. But just living this enjoyment factor, I notice I get more attention. Oh, well, I mean, if you are lighting yourself up, turning yourself on, happy, enjoying things, you are magnetic to everyone around you. I mean, and we see this, you know, we actually celebrate this. I think what what we love about celebrity culture is that we imagine that the people who are celebrities are living those ideally pleasurable lives, you know, where they get to do what they want whenever they want, which is what we think pleasure is. Of course, they'll tell you that they have real obligations and that they're stressed and they're running around and, you know, but we love to see someone who looks like they're having a good time. You know what one of my favorite shows is? (laughs) It's on FX. I don't know. I'm not so good with these channels. It's that lip sync battle show that Jimmy Fallon started as a spinoff of how he was doing a lot of those on his talk show. And so he started a separate show just for lip sync battles. And 
they get two celebrities on. The first round, they just sing a song straight in their street clothes. They just lip sync to a song of their choice. But the second round, they have to go full out, dress up, make it like a production. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he's like the king of the show. If you haven't Googled or YouTubed his lip sync battle where he dresses up like Janet Jackson from the Rhythm Nation video and does the entire dance performance and the whole thing. And you can see how much fun he's having. You can see, and like, I am lit up by watching this man who is just clearly loving every moment of this lip sync battle. It just, it's so pleasurable to see someone fully embodying and fully going for their pleasure. And we don't have to just be passive voyeurs on that journey. We can do that in our own lives. We, we can be that person. We can create the production that really jazzes, up, jazzes us up and like gets us out of bed in the morning and be like, okay, what, are the, what, what am I going to do today? What am I going to create today that's going to make me feel alive to my nerve endings? whether that be in my hands or my hair or my belly button or my clitoris, what's going to bring me the most juice, you know, and how am I going to set myself up for that win and that opportunity? And, and again, think of it in small ways, like, you know, how's your desk where you're working? You know, do you have something on it that is beautiful that every time you look at it just reminds you to take a breath and connect to nature, spaciousness, timelessness. Do you have something like that on your desk? Do you have a piece of jewelry, a bracelet, a ring, or something that just makes you feel abundant? Wear that every day. Do you have a a meal that just is your go-to pleasurable meal? I mean, I think you were telling me about one that you love. Like when you want to feel decadent and comforted, you have this recipe that you love to make. Like have one of those, make one of those. What's a hobby that you love to do? I mean, I have a lot of friends who love to do, you know, dance. Is are they and they're taking dance classes? Pursue the things that light you up. And then when you want to start thinking about how does this segue into romantic partnership, then it gets really interesting. (laughs) And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Elisa, thanks for coming on the show. If you'd like to send Elisa a message, you can do so over on Twitter at Flo Living, F-L-O Living. And for me, you can find me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at Jess C as in Cupid Lively. For show notes for this episode, you can find them over at JessLively.com slash Vitti part one. Before I share what our discussion is all about on Thursday, let's speak with Krista Butler of KristaButler.com about today's sponsor, Squarespace.com. Krista, thank you so much for coming on the show today. So happy to be here, Jess. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a health and wellness coach, but not the green juicing, intense exercising kind. My specialty is in digestion, so I help women work through things like bloating, constipation, and just feeling blah in their bodies. But I do this in like a non-restrictive, no big rules to follow kind of way. So what that looks like is I mix in things like being aware of the moon cycle, your chakras. And the principle of bringing pleasure into your day, especially when it comes to making healthy choices. Well, it's perfectly time to be talking about pleasure on today's episode of All Episodes. And I love that that's something that has gone into your own practices with your clients, as well as I know a little bit about Squarespace has something to do with pleasure for you too. 100%. So tell us the story of how you got to Squarespace. 
It started three years ago when I started my blog. I got the recommendation from a friend to try out Squarespace and I took her advice because I immediately fell in love with like the sleek and chic aesthetic of all the templates. So because I started to hang out a lot online around other online entrepreneurs and they were always talking about WordPress and the latest plugins and features, I kind of felt this pressure that I needed to switch to that platform. So I did and I paid a lot of money to get someone to shift my site for me. But then in November of 2015, I decided, you know what, I just love Squarespace so much more than WordPress. I want to go back and go with my instinct of what I love. So now I'm back to Squarespace and so grateful to be there. What's your favorite thing about Squarespace? It's the ease. And that comes in from a lot of angles because one of my value-based intentions in everything I want to do is feel this sense of ease. And now that I'm back with Squarespace, everything about updating my blog, creating my website, it's all ease. Of course, very excited to hear about values-based intentions and how it's interacting with your website, but obviously also with the work that you do and your life as a whole. So I know you have a wonderful tip for people who are looking for an ease-filled way to add great photos to their website, because that's something that popped out immediately to me when I looked at your site. So what's your tip and secret when it comes to getting awesome photos for your Squarespace template? I'm a really big fan of Pinterest, and what I wanted to bring to my website was this very visual element. So I started hunting around the web for really beautiful images, and there's some sites out there like unsplash.com and death to stock photos that have free, amazing quality pictures. Two of my other favorite sites to get these from are Creative Market and Dollar Photo Club. So if you check those out, you can totally find ones that suit you and suit your brand. On my website, I have these gold elements that I've added to my pictures. That's something I just did in Photoshop, which was pretty easy to do myself. And it does make the site truly pop, especially with your template that you're using with all of those images right on the homepage. To have that collage of beauty really makes a statement when you log in and see your site for the first time. So for anyone who's looking to give Squarespace a try, go over to squarespace.com backslash lively to get your free 14-day trial and then use the code lively at checkout if you'd like to move forward to save on your service. So keep that in mind if you're looking to give this a try and then use those photo resources that Krista just mentioned to make your site unique and truly beautiful. Krista, where can people find you online? They can find me at KristaButler.com, Krista with a K. And from there, find me on Facebook and Instagram. Krista, thank you so much for coming on the show today. So happy to be here, Jess. And now for a sneak peek. This Thursday on the show, we are bringing pleasure to our relationships. We're going to talk about how we can ask others to help us embody more pleasure in our own lives, how we can help other people in our lives access their own pleasure in a greater way, and of course, how to bring pleasure into the bedroom. The bedroom piece specifically is probably more for mature audiences. So if you typically listen to The Lively Show with little ones in the space, you may want to listen to this one on your own. I can't wait to share it with you. And until then, may something wonderful happen to you today.